Who here is a show of hands, a fan of the United Nations? <laughs> Nobody. Good. Because <laughs> I'm the UN slayer. Uh, the United Nations has tried for 25 years to make abortion an internationally recognized human right, and they've lost because we defeated them. They have tried for 25 years to redefine the family, and they've lost because we stopped them. They've tried for 20 years to make sexual orientation and gender identity a new category of non-discrimination in international law, and they've lost because we stopped them. They've tried to have an expansive definition of gender, as we see practically everywhere, nationally and internationally, but you know what? We help negotiate a, de a definition of gender in international law, which is quite good. If you go to the Rome Statutes of the International Criminal Court, uh, you'll see that the definition of gender in international law is men and women in the context of society. You go back a little bit earlier and you'll see in, uh, in, in Annex 2 of the Beijing Platform for Action that gender is to be understood as it has traditionally been understood. Now, this doesn't mean that the UN bureaucracy decides to go its own way and do exactly what it wants to, but in the documents of the UN General Assembly and in international law, we have beat them consistently for 25 years. The UN speaks to the world through non-binding and binding, non-binding resolutions of the General Assembly and also in treaties. Uh, there are a bunch of treaties. There's the Convention on the Elimination of All Forms of Discrimination Against Women. I love that, all forms. There's the International Criminal Court. There's the Convention on the Rights of the Child. There's the Convention Against Racism. There's the Convention for Persons with Disabilities. There's the International Covenant on Civil and Political Rights, and you can go on and on. One of the really great things about the United States of America is we've not ratified any of these except one. Now, presidents have signed some of these, but the U.S. Senate has hardly even brought any of them to the Senate Foreign Relations Committee for a vote. And when they have gone there, they have died. Um, so what we're talking about mostly when we talk about this kind of thing is the, the, the imposition of radical social policy on the world. Uh, this is what the sexual left at the international level wants to do. They want to impose, golly, comprehensive sexuality education. Don't ask what that is. Um, they want to impose abortion. They want, they want to Im impose all that we have here in the United States on every man, woman, and child in the world. And primarily they do that through these documents. Have you heard of customary international law? Customary international law is, is, is a law that becomes law through universal state practice with the understanding that there's a legal obligation to do so. It takes a very long time. The theory of the other side is that customary international law can be, uh, can be created by the repetitious use of certain phrases in UN documents. Hence, the phrase reproductive health appears in hundreds of documents, thousands of times. And they say, therefore, that creates an international right to abortion. And this is false. Um, <clears throat> uh, In, uh, I can't remember the year, when the Bush administration reinstituted Mexico City policy, 
uh, which says American money can't go to groups overseas that promote or perform abortions. They were immediately sued in federal court uh, by the Center for Reproductive Rights that cited customary international law. And they said in their, in their court case that the repetitious use of certain phrases establishes an international right to abortion. They were thrown out of court for lacking standing, but not on the issue itself. But the issue itself is false. Um, and I would just say that abortion, sexual orientation, and gender identity appear in no treaties. And as a matter of fact, abortion hardly ever appears in a non-binding resolution of the General Assembly. Sexual orientation and gender identity has only appeared twice in, UN, uh, in General Assembly resolutions, uh, twice coming out of Geneva in the, in, the, in the Human Rights Council, and then only to establish an office to examine violence against homosexuals. So how have we done this? How have we stopped an international right to abortion? How have we stopped sexual orientation and gender identity from becoming a new uh, category of international law? You know, by being present. In 1995, Pope John Paul II made a series of Wednesday audiences calling people of faith to go to Cairo, to go to Cairo, to help him negotiate a document on population and development. And, you know, 500 people answered that call like regular people, you know, moms and dads and lawyers and doctors and students, and they raised their own money and they went to Cairo. Imagine that. You know, most of those people have never been to Cairo. They've never been to UN, a UN conference. They've never met a UN diplomat. Yet they went to Cairo to assist in the negotiations of this do document, and they won. They beat the sexual left at Cairo. Uh, the, year, the, the very next year, John Paul II said, you got to come to Beijing for the women's conference. And 500 people answered that call as well. A couple of years later, we answered the call to open a permanent office at the United Nations. We've been doing this work every working day since August of 1997. And who were we up against? Let me tell you a second about what we do. We whisper in the ears of diplomats, you know, the delegation from Zambia is minuscule. The delegation from Nigeria is minuscule. The delegation of the European governments is massive. The delegation from the United States, a hundred. So Nigeria, Gambia, the smaller countries are overwhelmed with all of the things that they have to cover. And there is a tsunami of social policy coming at them. The number one issue that's debated at the United Nations really is reproductive health and reproductive rights. It's not borders and guns. It's social policy. And so we act as staff members to the small delegations. We've been doing, you know, my documents expert Stefano Gennarini has been doing this for 12 years. We got him fresh out of Notre Dame Law School. Rebecca Owis, who's our research director, came from us as a bench scientist from Emory University. She's been doing this for 12 years. She's a global expert on phrases that you guys have never even heard of. You ever heard of unmet need? And what it means, you don't need to. We've got that covered. And so what we do is we assist UN delegations in understanding all the tricks of the sexual left and how they try to impose the sexual revolution on the rest of the world. And who are we up against? We're up against all the powers of the earth. We're up against the European Union. And I wish Hungary would break the EU consensus. Maybe we can talk a little bit about that. Uh, Hungary at the United Nations refuses to break 
the EU consensus. Uh, we're up against the United States. We're up against the Nordic countries. We're up against various uh, uh, countries hangers-on to the European Union from South America and Africa, Asia. We're up against powerful UN agencies that have billion-dollar budgets, the UN Population Fund, UNICEF, the WHO, UN Women, the, the Office of High Commissioner of Human Rights. We're up against the Ford Foundation. They've got a massive office just blocks from the UN. We're up against the Rockefeller Foundation. We're up against Bill Gates. We're up against hundreds of billions of dollars being spent. Now, our coalition um, is basically a handful of small Christian organizations that come in from around the world for negotiations. We are always able to cobble together enough African delegations and delegations from Central America and the Caribbean to stand up to the muscle and might of all of these powers. The UN says it works by consensus, which means the classical definition is that if anybody disagrees that the document or the language is then thrown out, of course the UN is deeply dishonest and they don't go by that. So we need to put together a coalition of 20, 25, 50 states. But we've always been able to do that. And you know, these small African countries are willing to stand up to the muscle and might of the United States and the European Union, and Hungary won't. And I'm going to beat up on Hungary a little bit. You know, social conservatives have been hanging out in Hungary longer than, longer than Rod has, and longer than Tucker has. Uh, we're big fans of what they're doing over there. But the, Hungary won't stand up to the European Union on social policy at the United States, at the United Nations. So uh, it's a very gentle hook I just got. So here's the thing. Here, why should you care? The UN talks about taxes. The UN talks about small arms. You know, when the, when the US Supreme Court overturned the juvenile death penalty, the Supreme Court cited the Convention on the Rights of the Child that the United States never ratified. How is that possible? When they overturned the juvenile death penalty, they cited a part of the International Covenant on Civil and Political Rights that we explicitly rejected when we acceded to the treaty, the part on the death penalty. We have never ratified the Convention on the Elimination of All Forms of Discrimination Against Women, yet hundreds of American cities have endorsed CEDAW and are implementing CEDAW on the ground. So I would just say to you, it's super fun to go to the UN and beat the sexual left. And you're all welcome to come and do it with us. I will show you how.